Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a three-week series called Reflections in the Wilderness. During this series, you'll hear from different leaders sharing what God's been teaching them in this challenging season. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, before I start, I just want to remind you, if you, based on the title of the message today, if you have any complaints or disagreements, you can always email me at pastorjeffnelson at cherryhillsfamily.org. So just getting that out of the way. In all seriousness, show of hands at home, raise your hand. How many of you enjoy wearing masks? I don't see one hand in the room raised right now. I don't enjoy wearing masks either. They are uncomfortable. They make my beard itch. I feel like I have to yell through them in order to communicate effectively. I can't discern anybody's facial expressions, which is the key to good communication. In fact, you could all be sneering at me right now and I would have no idea. Now maybe that's in the pro column of masks, I'm not exactly sure. Another thing I don't like about masks is that they are an ever-present reminder that we are still in the reality of COVID-19. Our lives that existed in February of this year are no longer the same and may not be for quite some time. But even more than what I personally feel about masks, I'm even more disturbed by how masks have become a divisive political symbol in our country today, even in the church. As one Christian author says, the masked and the masked knots tend to assume the worst about each other, that mask wearers are fearful cosmopolitan elites, or that mask avoiders are science-hating MAGA bumpkins who prefer their freedom over grandma's life. It's crazy that it's come to this, politicizing masks. But really, should we be that surprised? Our country is all about dividing, right? It's all about division. And so it's not surprising that a thing like a mask could become a part of that. Now, we probably, in this room at home, we probably have all our own opinions about masks and about COVID. And part of the problem is we live in such an information-heavy society. We live in the internet age, and so we're bombarded with constant information from all the experts, and these experts oftentimes disagree on what is right or wrong. And so if we're honest with ourselves, we probably tend to default to the partisan side that we're already on when it comes to things like this. But for Christians, it's important for us to rise above those things and think about what our faith might tell us about wearing masks or not wearing masks. And that's what I want to address today. And I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I'm not just referring to masks in this message. I'm using masks as an example of something greater that's going on in our society that we need to address. But in my opinion, all of these things, all of this division, all the division over things like masks come down to one issue. And that's what I want to talk about. It's the issue of freedom. In fact, I'm just going to challenge you right off the bat. If you got your notes ready at home, here's what I want you to do. I want you to define in your own words what freedom is. You can see the first thing on the line there. Freedom is blank. Just take a couple seconds and write down how you would define the word freedom. Now, I'm not sure what you wrote there, but maybe you wrote something along the lines as freedom is the ability to do whatever I want. It is a firmly held belief in the United States of America, of America, a miracle, in some ways it was. It's a held belief that as individuals, we have the right 
to say or do anything we would like, even if others don't like it. Let them deal with it. Freedom is my right. But as citizens of heaven, first and foremost, should that be our view on freedom? That's what I want to look at together with you as we open God's word. Using the issue of masks as our example, here's the question we're going to consider together if you're on your notes. How should followers of Jesus exercise their freedom? If our freedom as Americans sometimes tells us you can do whatever you want to do and you can't tell me otherwise, does our freedom in Christ tell us something similar or something different? Now, of course, when I look at scripture, there's no verse about masks in the Bible, right? And so because that's true, I think we have to look beyond that. And I think what we do see in Scripture is an invitation to see issues like this from a gospel-centered perspective. Isn't that who we want to be as a church? Jesus-centered, gospel-centered people. So let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. We're in a series right now. It's just three weeks long where Pastor Jeff, myself, and Pastor Brian are each taking a turn to talk about some of the reflections we've had in the wilderness time of COVID. And so I'm talking today with you about some reflections I've had about how divisive this has become and what God's word might say to us about that. Why am I talking about this? That's a great question. Maybe because I'm a glutton for punishment. I don't know. But I do think it's important we think through these things through the template of God's word together. So can we pray together as we do that? Father, your heart is for unity. Your heart is that we would learn to love one another. And right now, that doesn't exist as much as we would like it to, both in our country, but also sometimes in our churches as well. So teach us from your truth, from your word, what it would look like to think differently about issues like freedom. Show us what you would want to show us. Help us to have humble hearts and lean in to your teaching today. Let us be open to your Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in order to understand the verses we're going to be looking at together, you got to understand what comes before it. And in reality, this whole section is three chapters long. It starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's all about a big argument that Paul is trying to make to the Corinthian church about their freedom in Christ. Now, we taught on 1 Corinthians a few years ago, and just as a reminder, this church was a total mess. There was all kinds of fighting and division and hostility towards one another in this church, and Paul reminds them again and again, that's not Jesus' dream for his church. His dream is a dream of unity, a dream of loving one another. And the main issue that Paul has to address again and again and again is this issue of freedom. Many in the church argue that their freedom in Christ, in a similar way we sometimes think today, means that I can do whatever I want no matter how it might hurt somebody else. Whether it has to do with their bodies, Paul writes about that, how they use their bodies, or creating cliques within the church, or having sex outside of marriage, even with a prostitute. Many in this church are saying, because I've been forgiven by Jesus, I'm free to do whatever I want. But Paul repeatedly calls them to think about their freedom in a different way. And in 1 Corinthians 8, this is where our section really starts, we address another issue on this, and this issue is causing incredible harm in the church. And the issue is whether or not a follower of Jesus should eat meat that had been sacrificed at the temple, but they buy from the meat market. 
I've talked about this issue several times in the past years. If you want to go back to the First Corinthians series, you can look this up. I don't want to get into too much detail here, but the bottom line of this issue was essentially this. Any meat that you probably bought, most of the meat that would, that would end up at a meat market had probably been sacrificed at a temple. Now, it was a black and white issue to say they were not allowed to eat the meat if they were at the temple and it was sacrificed to an idol or to a god there. However, the issue became, it becomes a gray issue when that meat ends up in a meat market. Is that meat still tainted by the sacrifice or are they free to eat that meat? The stronger Christians in the church, that's a word that Paul would use, would argue we're free to eat that meat. It no longer has the same meaning that it did. Paul actually agrees with them, but there are some weaker Christians in the church who argue, no, we can't eat that meat because of the very meaning that it has with it. And so you can see the division that starts to rise in this church. The stronger Christians are saying, you can't tell us what to do with our freedom. And the weaker Christians are arguing, well, you're using your freedom in a sinful way. And so Paul makes this lengthy argument based on eating meat, sacrificed to idols, but that you may very well be free to eat that meat. However, there is a higher law at work in the church. It's the law of love. At the end of this whole section, we come to our passage, which we're gonna look at today. So let's pick up this whole thing in verse 23 together, which says, quote, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Now, Paul is quoting this comment these stronger Christians are making throughout this whole letter, right? I can do whatever I want. I have the right, I have the freedom to live and do what I want, no matter the consequences and no matter how it affects other people. And Paul responds to them with the same type of statement earlier. That may be true in certain situations. However, not everything is beneficial to you not any, everything is beneficial to others. Perhaps you should think there is a higher calling at work here as a follower of Jesus than just your rights. Paul actually mentions what that is in the very next verse, which I have on your notes. Let's read it out loud together. It says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So listen, whenever you're exercising your freedom, he says, don't just think about yourself. Think about how your actions might affect other brothers and sisters. Will it build them up or will it tear them down? Now, friends, this is something we talk about all the time here at church. It's so important to us. It's actually one of our five values as a church family. I'll show our vision statement up here on the screen. Hopefully you'll be able to see that. But there it is. And I circled down at the bottom. One of our five values is relating rightly. When it comes to gray issues like wearing masks or eating meat that had been sacrificed at a temple, the question becomes, is it more important for us to be right or to relate rightly? Where do you think Paul would land on this? Relating rightly. How about with issues we face today? Masks, what we believe about COVID, politics. If you're on your notes, are we fighting to be right or to relate rightly. Now, don't get me wrong here. There are some things that are black and white. In the past, I've used the example of double yellow line issues, right? If you're driving down a road, you don't cross over double yellow lines, but sometimes there's those dotted lines, and those are the kind of gray issues we're getting into here today. 
And I would put masks within that kind of category. Listen, I'm as frustrated as all of you, how the experts have shifted their view throughout this whole time, but I think the consensus has become that wearing masks can at least slow down the virus's spread. And so with that in mind, what if our view of wearing masks was shaped more by our Christian identity than our American political identity? When Jesus asked what the greatest, was asked what the greatest commandment is, do you remember his reply? He says in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and following, Jesus replied, greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. For Christians called to love our neighbors as ourselves, wearing a mask in public, particularly in indoor spaces that can't always guarantee social distancing, seems like a pretty easy way to love our neighbors, if, even if it's annoying to wear one, even if you don't believe the science behind them, even if you think COVID-19 is all a big conspiracy and a big hoax, why not wear one anyway? It's an easy way to practice neighbor love. Never ceases to amaze me. I try not to go into a, a ton of stores, but every once in a while I, I'll have to go and right on the window there's a sign, masks are required, and you walk into the store and there's people in there not wearing masks. May it not be so for the follower of Jesus Christ. Where we say, I'm going to love my neighbor even if I don't think this actually does anything. I'm going to set my freedom aside for the sake of the other. Paul continues in this passage talking about this meat issue specifically. But again, let's think bigger. Verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In other words, yes, you stronger Christians, eat meat in the market. That's fine. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Here's the key verse, though. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Again, notice what he's saying here. Yes, you have freedom as those stronger Christians who understand that that meat now has no meaning beyond simply being meat. Everything belongs to God. However, if it might hurt another person's conscience, don't eat it. What do you think of that? Paul suggests there are times in our lives when someone else's conscience should control our behavior or actions or words. We don't like this as Americans, do we? You're not going to control my words or my actions or my opinions or my beliefs. Why? Why don't we like it? Because we believe freedom is an individual thing. Freedom belongs to us as individuals. But if you're following, God calls us to understand freedom isn't just an individual thing. It's communal. In other words, our freedom affects everyone else around us, either positively or negatively. Paul talked a ton about this earlier in chapter 8. Look up at the screen with me starting there in verse 9. 
Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. In these verses, Paul argues that in these gray matters of freedom, it's important if you're on the stronger side. And again, he's not making any judgment there. He's simply using some terms to explain the positions. But if you're on that side, don't flaunt your freedom for the sake of your weaker brother or sister. You know, this issue is important to me because literally I am one of the weaker brothers or sisters right now because of some of the medications I take. My immune system is totally shot. And so what it says to me as my brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're on the stronger side wondering if masks even matters, it says to me, I'm willing to set aside my freedom for your sake, Steve. And that's love. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. I've heard people say, well, this is just the church being led by fear. No, it isn't. This is the church obeying Jesus' command to love our neighbor as ourself. Do we want to meet and gather together? Yes, we do. But let's do that in a way where we love one another just like Jesus told us to. Let's finish this text by reading the rest of it out loud on our notes there. I've got all three verses, starting in verse 31. So read it with me. It says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. This is a summary of all three chapters. As a general principle, as followers of Jesus, we are to do everything that we do for the glory of God. For the glory of God. And if you're following on your notes there, to live for God's glory means reflecting Jesus in the way we live. It's pretty simple. What would Jesus do in this situation? What would he say? How would he act? We reflect Jesus' life in our lives, and that brings glory to God. That means the standards we live by are higher than the standards of this world. It's a big calling. Our freedom, our rights, should always be used for God's glory, not our own glory. Another thing Paul says here, I hope you didn't miss it at the end, if you're on your notes again, the way we express our freedom also has a missional impact. It makes a difference to the watching world around us. I've been thinking a lot about this. There are no easy answers, but let's talk about masks again as our example. What message do we want to send our community when it comes to this issue? Whether it's in our church building, outside of our church building, what message do we want to send them? There's a lot at stake, I think for the Christian witness during this COVID-19 pandemic? Do we want the non-believing world to look at Christians as reckless virus super spreaders who put their own freedom above the safety and health of others? Or do we want to look at us as servants to all? 
willing to lay aside our freedom for the sake of others in Christ-like neighbor love. Now, look, there's some sticky issues that go along with this, right? A black and white issue is freedom to worship, but can we worship together using the guidelines the state or the country have put in place? If they're taking that away, we're talking about something different. But what I'm talking about is what are the news stories you're going to see about churches right now? It's always those churches that decide, hey, we don't really care about the rest of our community. This is our God-given right. This is our freedom. We're going to meet together. We're not going to socially distance. We're not going to wear masks. And that gets put on the news. We want to be different. We want to say, hey, we still want to gather. We still want to meet. We're going to do it in the safest way possible And we're going to do it in a way that honors those in our community and honors those in our church family. Listen, if it's a small annoyance, I'll take it. If it could possibly send a positive message to our neighbors who may not believe in Jesus, I will wear a mask for their sake. Throughout this whole passage, Paul seems pretty readily easily to give up his freedom for others. I'll just quote a few things he says. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. There is such missional power in Paul's attitude there about his freedom, isn't there? Few things are more beautiful to witness than someone giving up their rights, giving up their freedom for the sake of another person. The Apostle John put it pretty clearly this way in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about Jesus and what he did for us. And so listen, if you're following on your notes, the exercise of personal freedom is never simply personal. Though people would love to believe that their actions do not affect those around them, or the society as a whole, Paul would challenge us to think differently about that. It's not a question of what we can or cannot do. It's a question of whether we can serve others by the way we live our lives. Can we model Paul and Christ's example? If you hear nothing else today, you've already tuned out, tune back in. Here's what I want you to take away from this more than anything. We are only truly free when we can set aside our freedom for the sake of others. According to the Bible, that is what true freedom is. Freedom is the ability to set aside our freedom for the sake of others. It's not a question of what we can do or cannot do. It's a question of how I can best use my freedom for the sake of another person. So Paul would sum this up by saying, yeah, you're free in Christ. And because of your freedom, you're also free not to exercise your freedom. You want me to say that again? You're free in Christ. And because of that freedom, You are free in the greatest sense to not have to exercise that freedom. I'll say it differently on your notes there. We are free to give away our freedom out of love for others. That's real freedom. Free from self-centeredness. Free to give away my freedom for someone else. Do you believe that's real freedom? How different would our world look if we all believed that is what freedom truly was? Let's get this practical and bring this home for you. Every day, you're going to be faced with decisions. Again, I want this to be bigger than just masks. It's not just decisions between right and wrong and black and white. 
It's decisions between what's good, what's better, and what's best. And as we seek to put this into practice, Paul's teachings here, I want to give you three applications that you can use as a template to place over your life whenever you're in a discussion, whatever actions you're taking, whatever your opinions are, whenever you come to an issue of freedom, just use this as a template. And like a good pastor, I've made all three of these start with the same letter. How awesome is that? Now, again, I know we're focusing on masks here, but I hope what I'm about to talk to you about, you can see how this can apply to every single area of your life. It can apply to your marriages, your families, your workplaces, your schools. It can apply to churches. It can apply to greater society. It can apply to your conversations on hot topics like politics and racism and even applies to the social media messages you post. We can use these three things as a template for our whole lives. So number one, practice the profit principle. And what I mean, if you're following still, ask yourself, will this benefit others? Will this use of my freedom benefit others? Will my decision, will my actions, will my words benefit others or will it just benefit me? This principle reminds us that our freedom and otherwise neutral matter should never be exercised at another person's expense, but always at another person's profit or benefit. And so whenever we make a decision, whenever we're about to make a comment or take an action, we should ask ourselves, who is going to benefit from this besides me? There's lots of actions I can take that benefit me, but is it going to benefit other people? This kind of attitude will fight against our natural tendency towards self-centeredness. Let's just take social media, for example. What if we practiced this before we posted something? Who is this going to benefit? Who is this controversial post actually going to help in this situation? Who is this going to profit? Same thing in marriages, right? What is this actually going to do for my spouse? What are these words going to create in my spouse? We can apply this. Who is this going to profit? Who is this going to benefit? Number two, practice the people principle. It's the most important one, in my opinion. Am I seeking to relate rightly? Ask yourself. It crushes my heart to see in our new news-crazy, social media-frenzied world that this right here has taken such a backseat. It has become far too easy for us to sit on the sidelines, spouting our opinions, demonizing people who we disagree with, putting them into this category or that category, assuming we know all about them. We refer to them as those people. We might not say that out loud, but in our hearts, that's what we're probably thinking. And this principle simply means we need to get to know those people before we make comments about those people, before we spout our opinions about those people. Get to know people, not just their names, not just their stances, get to know them, get to know their needs and their hurts and their pasts and their pains and their strengths and their weaknesses. Get to know what they believe and why they believe what they believe in an actual conversation. Only then can we really answer the question, am I more concerned about being right or relating rightly? Jesus got pounded for this. The Pharisees knew what was right, and they knew that it was not right for Jesus to be eating with tax collectors and sinners. Now, they never got to know those people as people. They just judged them from the sidelines, and Jesus had some pretty harsh words for them. 
Because every single person, every person you come across has been created in the image of God and is loved by God. Every Democrat you come across is created in the image of God and is loved by God. Every Republican you come across is created in the image of God and loved by God. Every human being was created in the image of God and is loved by God. Can we disagree with them? Yes. But we got to know them first as real people created in the image of God, putting our rightness below relating rightly. One of the greatest things that's happened in the last few weeks here in our church is that our elders have begun to meet with some of the elders at Fresh Visions Church. We're doing it over Zoom online. And it's just such an amazing reminder to me that I don't know everything. That Fox News doesn't know everything. That CNN doesn't know everything. It's a reminder to me that I have to get to know people and what they think and what they believe before I spout out my opinions and my thoughts. People come over opinions. So practice the people principle. Get to know people for who they are. Yes, have disagreements and discussions. We should. But let's do it in a way that we relate rightly. Last but not least, practice the purpose principle. Every time you're about to do something, say something, take some action, ask yourself, will this bring glory to God? Will this bring glory to God? Paul says everything we do should bring glory to God. So do you play football? Basketball? Are you a cheerleader? Do it for the glory of God. Do you change tires, fix fast food, study algebra, clean homes, run for president? Do it all for the glory of God. Our lives are to be about one purpose as followers of Jesus. Can you say it with me? The glory of God. When it comes to bigger issues like the ones we're seeing here today, can we truly say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to post this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to take this action. And it's going to be for the glory of God. It'd be pretty easy for us to walk out of here with one application point, which is memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do with your freedom, do it for the glory of God. Let's just say that. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You ready? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Friends, as I wrap this up, I want to finish with the words Paul finishes in this whole section. It's actually found in chapter 11, verse 1. It probably should have been in chapter 10. But let's read how Paul concludes this whole discussion about freedom out loud. It says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I got to be honest, I never understood that. Sounds pretty arrogant. Sounds pretty cocky. Until you put it in the context of what Paul has been talking about. What is Christ's example? He set aside his freedom for the sake of others. For your sake, for my sake, he set aside his freedom. And in the same way, Paul is saying, I'm setting aside some of my freedoms for the sake of others. Could we say the same thing? Follow my example when it comes to viewing freedom because I follow Christ's example. Follow me as I follow Christ. For Paul, for Jesus, in the whole Bible, freedom is not a question of what we can get away with personally. Freedom is about whether we can use it for the sake and benefit of others. Will we disadvantage ourselves for others because Jesus ultimately disadvantaged himself for you? Never forget, at one time, all of us 
were enemies of God. And he didn't sit on the sidelines. He didn't spout out his opinions about us and how bad we were. He came to us and he offered his life, his free life for our sake. How can we not do the same thing for others as his followers today? So let me ask you a question to consider today on your notes, the last thing. Will I live the way of Jesus by laying aside my freedom for others? Again, I don't know how you feel after a message like this. Maybe you're angry. I'm sure you have questions. What about this? What about that? But the bigger picture here is if Jesus could lay aside his freedoms for me, I want to do the same for others. I'm going to invite you to bow your head right now if you're at home. Again, I'd love for you to do this. I'm going to pray, but really what I want to do is offer you a time of silence. Maybe this is a time of confession. Maybe you want to lay this template, those three Ps over your life right now and just say, Holy Spirit, how am I doing in this? You want to show me something. How can I live the life Jesus lived for me? So let's pray and take some time. Confession is like cool water on a hot day. Father, what can we ever say to you other than we give you all glory? For you set aside your freedom in heaven, Jesus. And you became a slave to sin for us. You offered your life on a cross so that we may be set free now and forevermore. So as we think about our freedoms today, we just want to take some time to open ourselves up to your Holy Spirit. Maybe you will bring some specific people to our minds right now that we've hurt, that we're not relating rightly with. Some things we've said, some things we've posted. We want to trust that confession is a gift and that when we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we want to set ourselves on a new path, a path of laying aside our freedom for the sake of others. So we just take some time now to meet with you. We praise you that your mercies are new every morning. We step into that mercy today. Help us to see others the way you see them. Help us to treat others the way you treat them. Help us to use our actions and our words to bless and not curse. Everybody agreed and said, amen. I thought it'd be appropriate to conclude this by asking you to stand and we're gonna read Scripture together, scripture that reminds us of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what his calling is to us. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. I was told I read too fast last time we did this, so I will keep this a little slower. Will you join me? 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.